Welcome to another episode of Great Perhaps. I am McKay, here with my partner, Kyle Jones. McKay Nelson, I'll throw up my last name too. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing well. Doing doing well enough, all things considered, in the world at large and in our immediate community. We're going back to school tomorrow. That's a little bit misleading. We as the teachers are going back for meetings. The students, thank goodness, are not. Indeed. Because there is so much to be concerned about in the world and so much to be paying attention to, I am thinking that right here at the start, I want to point out that any time we're not talking about that doesn't mean we're not aware of that. And so I'm just feeling compelled that um, as we move forward in this conversation, just to put that out there. Agreed. We are very well aware that we have only focused on white men authors which I actually don't read that much of, so it's interesting that that's what we started with. That's true. I actually can't think of the, (laughs) like, outside of what we've talked about in the podcast, I can't think of a time where you've been holding a white male book, other when you, the last one I'm remembering is you holding David Brooks and ripping the second page out of the book and throwing it across the room. (laughs) That's the last I remember. And he did finally find it dusting. I did try to read James Joyce, and I couldn't get into it. Sorry, all James Joyce scholars in the world. <laughs> but the subtitle of our show is, what are you reading? What are you watching? So what are you watching before we get into our main conversation today, Kyle? I am watching a few things, none of which seem too significant, although I did watch a documentary the other night that I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you about, and I thought this might be a good space to do that. Uh, But what has been taking up most of my watching time is Deadliest Catch. I don't know what to say about Deadliest Catch beyond its use as escapism, which feels like something we all might need at some point uh, in, in these days and times. However, if I dig in a little bit and I really start to mine what it is that interests me about the show and what keeps me in it, like I said, there's the escapism part, which means there's all the elements of reality television that suck anyone into reality television. So, like, you just got to see if there are crab in that pot or not, right? So after the commercial, you're like, well, I got to know if there were crab in that one. Uh, The second part is it's extremely dangerous and the danger exists alongside these geopolitical socioeconomic issues. Uh, And so I'm interested in all those parts of it. You're shaking your head. Because neither of those things feel escapist to be danger. People may die while I'm watching this and getting into like deep geopolitical issues is not my form of escapism personally. Well, maybe I should or uh, highlight the the drama of it. There's real human drama that's a part of it, and some of that drama seems turned up a few notches because it is a reality television show and there are cameras on them, which is true for all of these shows, right? So there's that element of it that I just can't deny. Like, yes, it is very, very different than the Kardashians, but it shares a lot of the medium techniques and characteristics that are like still very much there but these individuals that are on the show are super compelling and genuine and earnest I think and you kind of get attached to them and so that's why I keep watching I hear that I do hear that what about you what are you really loving these days (laughs) 
Oh, just a little thing called RuPaul's Drag Race. Hashtag Drag Race. Our executive producer, Nick Cohen, <laughs> turned me on to it. I just watched season 12 and I have just begun season 6. And I love it. I absolutely, entirely am in. Maybe go ahead and go all for it. What What is it? What is really there that, like, you've got, like, 10 seconds to convince me or 10 minutes to explain to me what it is that pulls you so deeply into this show. Just like hit the biggest thing right off the bat and then we can dig into some of the other stuff. The biggest thing, which they have like past guest judges on and talk about it and just some fans that are celebrities or regular fans, they were saying watching this past season during quarantine, um, they talked exactly about what pulls me in. It's such this community this is why it's escapism for me it's because it's these people who exist outside of what traditional american culture trains us to be and they are beautiful and they are funny and they are dramatic and they are emotional and they're like putting it out all on the line and it's just a community of people who like so wholeheartedly love and support each other even in the moments of drama they know that they're doing something revolutionary right like they queer community is the most revolutionary force I truly believe in American culture and so like to watch them just celebrate and dance in it oh it's it's everything to me Yeah, I feel sheepish to even say anything about it because it's one of those things that personally it's it's obvious to see other individuals connect with the show so deeply and then also to see the individuals that are on the show feel so much and experience so much and to be an outside observer makes it feel like I'm an interloper in really sacred space. But I will say that... Uh, the amount of inspiration that can come through the screen in just like a, a little moment sitting on the couch watching it with you is unlike, I think, any other show I could think of, really. Right. It makes me think of like intersectional joy of right of like, this is not my journey. This is not my exact community of identity. But to watch these people who have faced similar feelings of being outside right I'm a straight cis woman so I don't have it to the extent that they do but there's like this intersectional joy of like look at us who exist outside of what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do and look at the joy and celebration and I mean those lip sync battles are just they're so emotional and inspiring and beautiful and talented and so to see that and to get to share I think in that sacred space is just incredible and I'm thankful for RuPaul's dynasty to have created it what about RuPaul what sort of thoughts or feelings do you have in regard to RuPaul so many (laughs) we should do an episode no (laughs) um yeah I think that's a whole conversation right like truly an icon truly 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 an icon and all the work that he has done to create the show and to make it a household name. Like they even had an episode where they brought on super fans and a woman on who's a super fan talks about she takes her daughters to DragCon, I think is what it's called. And right, like I, I think RuPaul has really led the way and created this this more broad acceptance of drag culture that's really inspiring. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack because we've talked about it's also a capitalist show still, but yeah, I truly 
admire and find him incredible. He's brilliant. He's stunning. I mean, everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I threw out a an assumption or an opinion or call it what you will, but a just kind of like fodder for a conversation, the idea that RuPaul will be in textbooks one day. And I, I suppose that's how RuPaul exists in my brain is just this seminal character truly that will kind of exist as like part of an inflection moment in history when we look back maybe from like a century-wide perspective. RuPaul compared to like 1950s America is just stunning. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I was processing all that. I agree 100% entirely. I, yeah. Do you want to get into our main topic for today, or do you want to say any more about what we've been watching? I think I feel good about that. Do you want to introduce what we're going to be talking about? Sure. So McKay and I read a book together, and McKay is the one that, of course, turned me on to this book. And so I'm excited to kind of hear what you have to say as kind of an introduction about what this book is and why we're talking about it. And then maybe we can kind of go from there. I was introduced to it. I kept seeing it everywhere. So it's a book called New Kid by Jerry Craft, written in 2019. It's a graphic novel about a boy named Jordan who desperately wants to go to art school. Oh, this is back-to-back books about boys who want to go to art school. Connection to Alan Cole. And his parents enroll him in a predominantly white um, private school. And so it's a graphic novel that just charts what it feels like to be a new kid, especially so he is an African-American character coming into this white school. And it charts his introduction, um, the tensions he feels, the friends he makes. It's got all of these layers, but the overall narrative arc is about that, about being a new kid in a school and especially being an African-American kid in a new school that has to do all this code switching and deal with all these microaggressions. Then I shared it with Kyle because I've been considering teaching this novel and I also discovered it was the first book to ever be awarded the Newbery, first graphic novel to ever be awarded the Newbery Award, which is a big deal. What do you have to add to that? I was processing in the middle. Did you mention that it takes place in New York? I did not. So Jordan, the main character, is from Washington Heights and... Uh, Washington Heights in Upper West Side, Manhattan neighborhood, and then two or three more neighborhoods up, even more north outside of Manhattan is Riverdale. Uh, And so it's at Riverdale that he goes to middle school. He's in middle school. Yes. Um, So I feel like that's kind of an important piece a little bit because it it is an urban uh, experience that he has in middle school and at home. And it's a New York experience in, in a lot of ways, but um, I think there's a lot of value in it. It's, it's exciting to think about teaching that, the geography aspect of these books, too. Uh, that kind of stands out to me. Am I getting excited about nerdy things? We always get excited about nerdy things. We just get excited about different things. That made me panic. I was like, oh, I can't teach the geography of it. <laughs> I'm going to teach the characters. <laughs> Um, and so I, 
Uh, as you mentioned, I, I think there's two things that we can get excited about that are maybe nerdy things to get excited about that we both kind of agreed are interesting. And so just to like double down on those, one being to have a conversation about awards and the second to just dig on on this book a little bit. And so I'm excited to hear about what kind of ideas you have for teaching this book and what sort of themes or motifs or ideas come across that you're like, this is like golden for what I want to accomplish in the classroom. And I think um, kind of a ancillary piece of that for both of us too is this overall drive or aspiration to continually incorporate what we would call kind of like abolitionist teaching into our classroom. And so I think this book is kind of it's useful for all three of those conversations. So is there a place that you want to start with it? I think maybe why I was drawn to the book. Can I jump in there? So I had bought it a while ago. I'd been sitting on the bookshelf and I, I finally picked it up maybe a couple of weeks ago. And I immediately got extremely excited because as a sixth grade teacher, language arts teacher in a predominantly white private school, I immediately saw a narrative that I felt comfortable sharing with my students. I... So to offer, for instance, Jason Reynolds, who I absolutely love, Ghost, the Ghost series, um, the first one is about a boy who has this backstory of his father, tries to shoot him and his mother, and it like isn't around for most of the novel, and it's very much that character has a kind of inner city, inner city narrative that focuses on what I've seen a lot of white students see as the predominant black, quote-unquote, black narrative. And so I'm, I'm reluctant to teach a book like that, right? I They need to see that that is true, but there are also all these other black narratives. So I was really drawn to this because it's an African-American character in a setting they already know, right? They, they are aware of this. And this book, which I think in every review talks about this, is, is a roadmap for microaggressions in a really beautiful narrative way. It creates this incredible story using the microaggressions and and really showing and teaching about them and so the way that those two are married in this book really struck me and really drew me in as something that I was like oh this would be a really great book to teach class-wide to help bring in those issues to my classroom. I think that's really well said and to pick up on the microaggression piece and even to pick up on an example you used Amongst the many things that Jerry Craft uses to reveal how microaggressions surface and operate and function in a middle school setting, one is uh, book choice for young people. (laughs) And that Micaiah's laughing is significant because the way Jerry Craft kind of masterfully introduces how microaggressions operate is through humor. Uh, As is true, I think, in my opinion, with really well-done humor, it's not uh, for the sake of feels. Like, you still feel the heft of it, and they still hurt, and you still are carried to places that are emotional and trying with all the characters, but you're also laughing while you're on the way to those places. And... um, that stands out to me of like if I that if I were being asked to give like a five second pitch of what is this book, I think that's maybe where I would start. 
my brain just like exploded in a million excited ways. Yeah. So Jordan, the character, wants to go to art school. So really beautifully throughout the graphic novel, Jerry weaves in what are meant to be journals from Jordan's art diary. And so he he illustrates and the episode Kyle's talking about is there are a couple other non-white students in the school and they all like experience their own microaggressions and they go into the library and the librarian like offers the white students these like fantasy books or these like soft gentle and then tries to hand each of the black students present this one book that's like something like the gritty south side and the best is um jerry craft talks about this in interviews that he purposely weaves throughout african-american characters with really diverse backgrounds and one of them who was one of my favorite characters named maury who is just kind of this round he seems very like off in his own world but is comes from a privileged background too she tries to hand it to maury and maury how would you say his name maury kyle's nodding i'm bad at pronouncing words um and maury maury (laughs) hands it off to jordan like doing it too like thinking like oh and so there's all these issues of class and race of like the librarian hands it to Mari Mari hands it off to Jordan and Jordan and his friend is one of his other African-American friends drew like kind of laugh and they're like what is this book (laughs) and it's just beautiful and well done it also for me just sparked the realization that this is where a lot of the power of a graphic novel lies. And I had in my notes a couple of things that stood out for me as it relates to what a graphic novel can achieve that maybe just a normal middle grades book or YA book doesn't achieve. And that being the specifics of like seeing what a kid's face looks like when a librarian hands him a book, thereby... uh, in, in effect, doing something extremely racist. <laughs> and so you see the librarian's face and you see the student's face and you see the setting in which it all happens. And to pair all of that with like a, uh, an extremely creative illustrator that's using the illustrations to send messaging, uh, it all becomes more powerful and, and you feel it in different, more visceral ways, I would say. And... So that also makes me curious about what sort of thoughts you have when you're considering teaching a graphic novel as opposed to just a normal novel or book. Yeah, I think it gives a lot of new opportunities um, for looking at characters and emotion. And the issue of word choice in writing is really hard for sixth graders. But to see it on faces and in illustrations really helps. I love graphic novels. I, I think old school teachers tend away from them because there's some weird argument that not as much reading happens, quote unquote. But what I think is right is it is it's social emotional learning integrated with reading. There is there's a, there's a whole new form of reading. I hand a graphic novel to a kid who's never read one and they don't know how to look at the page. They don't know what order they're supposed to go through the panels or frames. They don't know how to integrate the information into a reading experience. And so there is a lot of words too. There are there is. There there are a lot of words. There we go. There are a lot of words too. But it's also a whole other reading skill set that I think is really important to teach. B 
because of that, right? Because you get to point out, like, look at the way that the emotions change as it's expressed through the characters' faces. And like you said, he's a really gifted illustrator. That whole piece about um, teaching someone how to read, that's such a loaded phrase, right? And I am already inspired thinking about how much space like you and other great English teachers like give their students to read in their way and I don't know I guess I'm thinking about my personal experience with graphic novels is that I literally didn't know they existed until I think I was like 21 and a friend gave me one that's how far away they were from me as I grew up I did not know I did not know what a graphic novel was until a friend handed me one one day. So if you would have told me what it was, I would I would have maybe guessed something along comic, but I didn't even really know what a comic was because only super nerds read comics. But they certainly didn't have space in the institutions I was being educated in. Spoiler, comic and graphic novel are the same thing. Did you know that? I didn't, so I'm learning right here on the spot. So comics... A graphic novel is a series of comics, right? So Jerry Craft creating New Kid, which is created as a cohesive story entity, is newer in form, right? It started as serial comics, and those still exist. For instance, like the Archie remakes that I read, or Monster S, another comic series I love. When they're bound together, they become a graphic novel. But graphic novel is a term only came into use of to, used to try to credential the art form. There's no difference between graphic novel and comic. I mean, if you want to get down to it, it's really length. Um, and graphic novel now can stand alone. But yeah, they're they're essentially the same to my understanding. And so in that space, it takes me to another question I came across as I was kind of preparing for this and reading in and around New Kid and Jerry Craft and some other folks that are involved in in this space and bringing these things into the classroom and coming across the concept of reluctant reader. And again, it's kind of a concept I'm kind of ignorant of because I I don't, I, I, we use reluctant learner in high school, I think, but reluctant reader seems really specific and probably has some traits to it that um, are really specific and catering to middle school. I'm wondering how this book might exist or be introduced to a reluctant reader. So what is a reluctant reader and how do you think this book or other books like it would be useful? A reluctant reluctant reader is exactly what it sounds like, a reader who really doesn't want to read. So for personal experience, I have a collection of graphic novels in my classroom library because especially this past year I had three girls that we did independent reading projects every trimester and they which shoot daggers at me when I announced it because the idea of reading a full-length novel in even two months time was really overwhelming it can be tied to maybe there's some like learning differences that reading's really hard maybe they don't have the reading strategies maybe they just haven't found books they've liked it's just kids students young people who really really don't like reading um and you know will be like the the kid in the car seat that like pushes against everything So, but why this book is good in this conversation, uh, 
very perfectly Jacqueline Woodson, I believe is her name. She wrote Brown Girl Dreaming was her big book that I think put her on the map, but she's written a bunch of middle grades YA. So Brown Girl Dreaming is a memoir written in verse that I believe won a bunch of awards. She just tweeted out the other day that she has a seventh grade son who's a super reluctant reader and she wants him to read something before going back to school. And half the list was like, new kid, new kid, he has to read new kid. And it was a bunch of teachers saying that as soon as their students realized new kid was a book, all of them wanted to read it. And that's my experience with graphic novels of Rainbow Rowles, a really famous YA writer. And she wrote with an illustrator, a really great graphic novel called Pumpkinheads. And it's super cute. And I had one girl read it and then like 20 girls lined up to read it next. So I like graphic novels because they're easily consumed. They're still reading and kids think it's really cool. Like when I started offering students the option to not read a full like written page novel and that they could read a graphic novel with like additional So I would ask them to read like some articles or essays or something because a lot of times reluctant readers are the ones who most need the reading practice. So the deal I would check is you can read a graphic novel and that can be your independent reading, but I want you to read like these two other things I'm going to give you. But they thought it was so cool. Like they wanted to prove to me, like after I started allowing that, other students are like, oh, I could, you know, I probably need a graphic novel too. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And... How significant does it feel to you that a graphic novel then won the Newbery? Extremely. Extremely. I I think it goes back to one of my greatest passions about middle grade and YA is I think it's the most innovative reading book field that exists right now. I think it's on the forefront of sending like what is reading, what are stories, what are books, and the fact that the oldest kids award, it was founded in 1922, was given to a graphic novel is huge. I mean, that's a really big deal. And not to mention, Jerry Craft himself is an African-American man, and I don't believe the award's been given. You had a statistic on that? I learned that Virginia Hamilton was the first African-American writer to win the medal, and that was in 1975. As of 2025, African-American writers have won the medal, and 26 have been honored. Approximately a third of these honors were bestowed in the last five years. Thoughts on that? I didn't know that until I glanced at your notes before we started recording this. So it made me really especially interested in another award that I pay attention I mean, right, the American Library Association, the organization that gives out the Newberry, the Caldecott, the Prince, like all of these big um it's a huge list. So there are a couple that I've started to like pay attention to as I like gain the ground beneath me, but one's the Coretta Scott King Award, which is given to African-American writers that celebrate African-American culture. So that's that gets thorny to me, right? There's a whole category, but then to learn that only five Newbery Medals have been given to African-American writers, that doesn't sit well with me. What about you? I, it's very problematic, uh, in my opinion, and it, it's emblematic, I think, of the conversation I want to have, but don't feel very confident in the space of, of having it, and that is only only recently knowing to really question awards. I, I wasn't raised to question awards in any way. 
And in young adulthood, so in college, right after college, I started to do it. I started to learn that that was a thing. But still cultivating the skills to do so, I, I don't feel like an expert uh, in in that space. Other than I think we're all kind of maybe hopefully getting a little better at expecting an explanation or an asterisk or expecting ourselves or whoever is teaching us about an award or talking about award to give us a little bit of update, a little bit of historical context on who this award has been for in the past, how it is changing and what it is doing to engage with a more activist abolitionist agenda, especially when it comes to these education-based awards. I I think the imperative is even stronger there. So I'm not an expert on anything within this space. And like, if you ask me the difference between the Newberry and the Caldecott, I couldn't tell you. Um, So I I don't have much to say other than like conceptually. Yeah, I want to join others that are doing the work to see what's up i bet you will the caldecott how would you say caldecott caldecott i literally don't know how to say it either we have to say it like a pretentious old education man a caldecott and a newberry are the older ones the caldecott goes to picture books um and newberry goes to written to my understanding what's interesting is i was looking over the list of awards and i've always thought that the ala is like list of awards in my very naive, whitewashed lens that I'm trying slowly to, to learn to unpack. I saw, so like they have the Credit Scott King and then they have the Schneider Award, which goes to books that um, display, express, tell stories of people with, I, I feel even uncertain of the word choice, uh, disabilities. So, for instance, I just read Jason Reynolds' As Brave As You Are, which the grandfather is blind, and it won the Schneider Award along with other ones. Or maybe it was an honor. I can never... I, I have trouble remembering who was actually awarded versus who got honored. And then there is the Stonewall, which has been around since the 1970s, which goes to queer books. And even most recently in this past um, ALA conference, they have, I think it's just a list. I don't know if there's actually an awards given, but it's called the Amelia, Amelia Bloomer list. And it's for feminist books. And they do everything from like toddler picture books to YA, but they just changed the name to, I think it's called the rise award because Amelia Bloomer has proven to be a feminist who was not intersectional and was your stereotypical, terrible white early feminist who just fought against all other groups. So you look at that and you think, Oh, look, they're celebrating all these diverse voices but I think then when you like unturn the stone that the Newberry and the Caldecott are still predominantly white wards it's like okay that doesn't right you can't have your cake and eat it too like we have to do the work of unpacking that the Newberry and the Caldecott because of the historical significance are still the top right and so that's part of the reason it's such a big deal that New Kid graphic novel written by an African-American writer one it's it's a huge deal but we got to keep right you can't just diversify the list of other awards given and continue to give the main top two in historical significance that was a lot you go i just got tempted to ask you if you wanted to talk about the difficulties and experience of and challenges of being on an award giving committee for religious texts do you want to talk about that or can we save that? 
Save that. <laughs> I I maybe while you're thinking or processing that, I I think what stands out to me is as we dig in and as we hopefully make it a policy and a practice of our efforts to do better, to pay attention to these awards, where they come from, how they're decided upon, what sort of transparency exists, what's their history like, is we get better at asking these questions and pushing for the types of awards and committees we want to see. It's also true that giving awards is tricky and difficult and challenging, like, also. So, like... um, all all parts of it are wrapped up in human messiness maybe is like where I'm headed with that thought or feeling and I don't know if that's interesting or not I think so the other thing because it leads into this other conversation that another award new kid won was the Kirkus Prize so the Kirkus is one of these foundational institutions that gives reviews of books both YA middle grade as well as adult fiction and only recently, 2014, they started giving prize awards of, I think, 50000 Do you remember the amount? A lot. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. And New Kid won it. And why that came up to me, because you were saying this is all a messy human endeavor, is um, a couple of years ago, Kirkus came out with a, what's the word I'm looking for? Practice. That in all of their reviews, at least for middle grade and YA, I don't know if it's true for adult um to, to name the race of every character that they write about. And it can read super clunky because it'll say like, white guy Kyle goes to somewhere and meets, or like, so say there's a sequel, like African-American Jordan moves to a new school where he meets white guy Kyle. And there's been a lot of conversation around that, right? It's messy. It, it, it kind of is a weird writing style, but Kirkus really believes it's something it needs to do because a lot of teachers and parents want to be able to read a review about a book and see, are there black characters in this book? Like what, what narratives are being told? Like they want the full rundown of like, is this just going to be a white book or is this going to have characters that are Mexican descent and write it the whole, the whole spectrum of people. Yeah, absolutely. And I for some reason this uh took my brain into a place of kind of tying in the the geography piece right now and how it relates to the significance of these awards. Um and I say all these things in a manner of wonderment. I wonder about these things and I have hunches about these things, but as I think about New Kid happening almost entirely on the Upper West Side, Manhattan. Uh, That seems and sounds super specific. And New York is very different than the majorities of cities in the United States of America. But as I think about the role of an award, then it's like, well, if the Newberry and Coretta Scott King and Kirkus Review all slap a label on this book, what is universal about it is maybe what is being valued or a reader that picks it up in a bookstore, that's what they're being taught, is that there's universality in this book despite what may feel like being a very New York book. And I wonder too about the part of it being the story of a black student attending a mostly white private school. 
that is happening a lot in the United States of America right now. That that I like feel confident to talk about is that's a ubiquitous experience. Um, and so I think the universality of that maybe pairs with it winning a Newberry of like this is a really important, like pertinent story. And so to, to get good at reading it and having the experiences we have and talking about them within the book feel like super important to me. Wow, so many things just went through my head. I agree. I also think it's interesting. One thing I've started to take note of is the we, like that we have to get good at reading it. The we is you and me, white people, right? A hundred percent, right? That's what I, I, when I was thinking about what I was going to say, I wanted to lead into that by saying like, un, really like the target audience of who I would want to share this book with is our colleagues that also exist in these very white spaces with us. And um, I have so much to learn from this book as I did when I read it, right? It was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm learning so much. But to so to steer away a little bit from the award conversation and to get back into why this is just a really good book is it does that, but it's also just a damn good story, right? Like I'm excited for my students to read it because like they are going to get caught up in the humor and the characters and the story and they are going to love it and they're not going to know that underneath they're also learning about microaggressions. And I think it's not just about it. What also makes it universal, if that can be used, is is it's the story of a African-American character being in a predominantly white space like that. There's echoes of it, of Jordan's mother. I can't remember. She's either in marketing or a lawyer. She's in some kind of corporate world. And she talks about working in a predominantly white space. And she wants Jordan to go to the school because she wants him to learn early how to exist in those spaces where his dad works at a community center in Washington Heights and doesn't want to. And Jerry Craft has shared in interviews that this is, so he went to a predominantly white high school and his children, I think he has two sons now, also go to predominantly white private schools. So it's a, it's a story, it's a feeling that's really close to him. But I also think the story is just so good. Um, maybe before we get into that, what did you think of the teachers? I like want to talk about the teachers. You know I want to talk about the teachers because they're so terrible and so funny. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Terrible. And again, that they are handled with comedy kind of speaks to an underlying empathy uh, for these people that um, this isn't, uh, they're not being branded uh, as opposed to being like nudged. Um, Yeah, this is one more thing I wanted to say that you just reminded me. So in talking about this book, Jerry Craft used this phrase, mirrors windows and sliding doors um that he hopes his stories are mirrors windows and sliding doors and full of humor and hope and that's a phrase that comes from the black caucus a black caucus leader of the ncte national council for teachers english (laughs) we'll put it in the show notes i don't know what ncte stands for but this leader uh, i think a couple decades ago used this as a descriptor for multicultural literature that it should be a mirror for students to look and see themselves reflected, a window for us to look out into the world, into others' worlds, maybe real or imagined, as well as a sliding door, right? So you can step in and out of these. And so Jerry Craft hopes New Kid to be all three at once, which I think it is, right? For you and me, we get to see different parts of ourselves reflected, maybe 
ugly, maybe good. And we get to start to explore these worlds, especially from a different perspective than you or I hold. Indeed. And I'm going to connect it back with where you were truly wanting to get then is that this is a beautiful narrative. And I think when we say it's a beautiful, magnificent narrative, it's that it accomplishes so much and yet is quite seamless without feeling overpacked. And so the experience of reading it for me, and if I were to kind of zero in on the teachers, is there's a lot of discomfort, but there's a lot of love uh, for the characters. And that was the the beauty and the fun maybe of reading a middle grades as well, of kind of like how the students interact with each other and how the students interpret their teachers it's that was fun right as an adult to read that of like oh that is how a student looks at a teacher and processes what that teacher just said and did and being a teacher and knowing what was going on in the teacher's mind and then hearing back from the student that's just a cool experience it was really fun to read in that way yeah i agree Do you have other parts of this that you really want to get into or at least mention as like things worthy of our attention were we to give more attention to them? I think just the cast of characters, the friends and enemies and side characters that he meets in this new school are so well done. So for instance, he gets picked up on his first day by a boy named Liam who is extremely, extremely rich and like has a chauffeur his dad or I don't remember if it's a chauffeur or his dad and Liam becomes this kind of he's white and um he becomes kind of this sidekick character he's very kind of quiet and weird and then there's this terrible white bro named Andy that's just like lots of white bros we've all met and then there is Drew who is another African-American character that's one of my favorite uses of the microaggression is there's this really I don't think she gets redemption Miss Raleigh is that her name the homeroom teacher I don't know how you say it Miss Raleigh she's a white woman and she is somebody who enacts a lot of the microaggressions that you see throughout the book she has an ending I think that decimates her (laughs) character and integrity but she continues to call Drew DeAndre And Drew finally like blows up at her and it's so funny and it's so good. So I love all of them, but I have to talk about my favorite character. Do you know who it is, Kyle? (laughs) I I knew the first time I turned the page and saw her. uh, This this character wears a puppet and she loves her puppet and she uses her puppets to communicate because she's feeling so many wonderful and difficult and complex things and she has like this it's communicated in the drawing she has weird puppet voices she's just strange nobody really likes her but she's also like super aware that nobody likes her so jerry craft said one of his favorite scenes which was one of my favorite scenes is jordan he's waiting for his dad to come pick him up and his dad's running late and he gets stuck in the rain and this character her name is alexandra pops up out of nowhere with her little weird frog puppet and her umbrella and sits down and there's this whole thing about jerry craft and his ability to like create this scene of emotions and you get to experience it with jordan but my favorite is Alexandra's asking Jordan like do you not like my puppet and Jordan's like no that's fine and she like gets all sad and says like oh then it must be me you don't like like she's aware of her weirdness but still continues to be weird and then Jordan and 
his friends kind of help her. And it's just, I, you know, I love a middle school weirdo. <laughs> she has a great arc. The, the way it comes comes full circle too is really wonderful and feels so good because that's also one of my other favorite artistic decisions is like at one point I think it's like Jordan's with Drew and Liam and they're walking and Alexandra is like kind of behind them and they let her like walk with them and Jerry Craft draws her as if her arms are up like cartoon and her knees are bent so she looks like she's flying along behind them in happiness and it's just Right, like, if you feel weird when a group lets you come along, that's how you feel. Like, you're, like, literally like, oh, look, I'm just getting to go with these people. (laughs) I love her. And another perfect example of the power of a graphic novel Mm -hmm. to capture that feeling and that experience and that emotion without using words. Because it's hard to describe what that is, but if you just show wings and bird feet. Maybe we can put that as the the cover of the episode. Alexandra flying. That sounds perfect. I think the one last thing I want to mention is there is a scene where Jordan has kind of had it and he kind of reaches his max and uh, his friend is being accused of a wrongdoing that's not truly his fault and there's a layer of complexity to it and so Jordan uh, comes to the moment of jumping up on top of a cafeteria table and espousing the defense of his friend and exonerated his friend they get in they still get in trouble for it and there's problems with that but it I think is revealing of a lot of things and I I found that scene to just be super significant and it kind of operates narratively as a culmination moment right and so it it is a centerpiece of the story at large but I think if I were teaching it even to high schoolers, I would want to like spend a lot of time right there. Um, And so this is maybe where like a little bit older student, um, you could start talking about things like how power operates within a school as an institution and how that power is so closely linked with race, class, uh, economics, socioeconomic norms and more. There's just so much there. And I felt like, this book captured that in like one page. And I, I loved that, that it happened so quickly, but it was so significant. Yeah, I agree. And what I especially love is, so I'm planning on using this book to help introduce the hero's journey, which is a classic like literary uh, story arc and movement. And that is the peak, right? Like that is the final facing down the monster. And it's interesting because like there is a teacher enforcing this, but the monster is also something else much larger. So I agree. But what I love about the humor in it being in middle grade is right after he does it, he goes and vomits, (laughs) which I think is so well done of like, it's so humanizing that even when we do like stand up on the cafeteria table, literally or figuratively, like it's still going to be scary and we're still going to like vomit afterwards and still kind of be the same, but also know that we're capable of these bigger actions. I'm so glad you pointed that out. I loved that scene too so much and kind of exists for me in my brain as uh, an emblem of what this book looks and feels like and acts as. That's like a perfect scene, I think. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on? Nothing other than I love it. And I think I'm happy we are beginning to bring this conversation to the podcast. We both wanted to. It's 
hard and it's scary, but it's really important. So maybe we'll put our, we will, not maybe, we will put our email. We now have a Gmail account for our podcast in the show notes because one thing I would love is if there's ever times that you hear something you're like, oh, don't say that. Any feedback, any questions, any thoughts, we're always open to. This is a, especially as two white people, right? (laughs) This is a conversation that's, I don't even know what to describe it as, but we're here for all of it. And I really love this book for all of the reasons. And it's incredible. If you've never read a graphic novel, it's a great one to jump in at. Well said. I I don't think there is anything I can add to that. that. That was very well done. So I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, give us a rating. Give us a review. We are super appreciative for those that have given us ratings and reviews. Uh, they mean a lot to us. And we are grateful for the listen. So thanks for listening. Bye.